I had a period of time where I was really into video games and I had this revelation, this epiphany at one point where I was like, why am I spending all this time trying to upgrade these characters or get to the next level? Like, why don't I try and actually apply that to myself? Because th that's real world, I can actually take that with me rather than investing all this time in something that doesn't really matter. Reboots episode 54 features Stephen Lawson, creator of The Monk Manual. Steve is a doer. When he realized that he needed to learn to do less and to be more, he started to study and implement the habits and the quiet intention that monks lead every day. Yeah monks. And that is when life changed for Steve. He says he became a better husband and a better father. And then Steve developed the monk manual and fully funded his project on Kickstarter like that. In this episode, Steve and I are going to walk through the monk manual and what makes this 12-week guided journal different from the others on the market, and it's not a sales pitch, we talk about implementing how Steve has used the Monk Manual and how we can too in our everyday lives. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Sorry for the quality of the audio. A wrong microphone happened to be selected. Selected. Hey, Steve, thanks for inviting us into your life today. Tell me where you are and what your typical day is like. Yeah, thank you, Tracy. I am in Cincinnati, Ohio, originally from Buffalo, New York, and for about the past six months have been working full-time as an entrepreneur. So what my day looks like really changes from day to day. I wear a lot of hats because my operation's fairly lean. So on one day, I might be shipping out some packs to different influencers for my product or might be working on some different marketing activities, might be doing a conversation like this. It really changes day to day. So you've got a family? I do have a family, yes. I have a wife and three kids, Henry, who is six, Jack, who is four, and Caroline, who is just about one year. And you use them in some of your uh, marketing videos, and they are pretty cute kids. Yeah, my wife uh, does a good job dressing them and making them look a lot cuter than I probably would make them look. So, <laughs> Okay, next kind of get-to-know-you question before we kind of dive into your story and your incredible product and monk manual. This is probably the most important one for me because I'm a huge baseball fan. So who's your team? I mean, you're in Cincinnati. Yeah, so I think my honorary team would have to be the Reds. What's interesting is, is growing up in Buffalo, there's such a strong winter culture. It's almost like uh, you're an honorary Canadian, right? So hockey is very big. They, they have a minor league team called um, the Bisons. So baseball, I wasn't 
raised in a culture where baseball was as big of a thing as football or, or hockey, but I love going to the Reds games here. Um, they were really nice operations, just a good time with the family. So I'm kind of, I'm learning to love baseball after not really being raised on it as a kid. Yeah, when I was little, and I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, I'm, I'll be 56 this year, so might as well just save you from having to do the math. I loved watching Johnny Bench, loved Tim McCarver, although Tim was in the broadcast booth by then, but I was a catcher. So yeah, I loved all the catchers. I am today though, a Yadier Molina fan, a Cardinals fan, the greatest catcher of all time, except for Johnny Bench. He's a goat, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I came across the Monk Manual as part of a, a Kickstarter campaign that I played a tiny part of. And I've had this Monk Manual. It's a guided journal that I've had and waited for the right moment to use it. And I'm really excited to get started with it. So I want to know, first of all, how can someone, how can a Reboots listener get the Monk Manual? Let's, let's kind of get that out of the way first. We'll do it again at the end. I can guarantee you're going to want this if you want to make some change in your life. Yeah, sure. So it's pretty straightforward. The domain for the website is just monkmanual.com. Uh, you can go to that website and find more information about the product, uh, more about the, the deeper vision behind it, and then also order either one monk manual. It's a quarterly planner, a daily system. So um, you can either order one if you want to try it out, or we do have discounts if you want to get a full year. I started doing quarterly planning about five or six years ago, and it has changed my life just to do the quarterly system. And I've experimented with a, a number of different systems. So tell me about what your life was like before you developed the monk manual and then decided, gosh, this is something that I need to be sharing with the world. One of the greatest honors I've, I've received from customers is, is an overwhelming sense where people who hold it and use it just feel like it's really dripping with intentionality. And in a lot of ways, that's because it, it comes from a really deep place for me. I spent about a year just working on the actual framework and putting it together to what the end product ended up being. But the Monk Manual itself, the genesis of it really is it's almost like a Venn diagram of a hundred different circles, all representing different areas of my life and my own path and in my own experience. And so in a lot of ways, you can kind of see uh, the seeds of where it came from just when you actually use the product. But to, to talk a little bit about my own story, and I think that maybe what actually makes the most sense is to just speak about my own natural strengths and weaknesses and, and path. I've always been, well, not always, but Right around in high school, I, I started getting really serious about personal growth and development. I had a period of time where I was really into video games and I had this revelation, this epiphany at one point where I was like, why am I spending all this time trying to upgrade these characters or get to the next level? Like, why don't I try and actually apply that to myself? Because th th that's real world, I can actually take that with me rather than investing all this time in something that doesn't really matter. And so, that put me on a path where for a pretty long period of time, I've been very interested in psychology and just overall personal growth. And one of the things that is part of my, my core personality is I'm fairly goal-oriented, 
and fairly results oriented. So I think everyone's engineered in different ways. My wife, for example, is so skilled with people. She has this superpower where she can just make people feel so good just being around them. And people are drawn to her because of that. My natural skill set is kind of like being a very efficient robot to some degree. It's very true for me to say that my own experience has been that if I go and I set like a goal, I can really achieve that goal, generally speaking. And that's, that's not because I'm better in some way. It's because I can get really focused and almost hyper-focused and I can sacrifice a lot of other areas of my life for that. And so leading up to the Monk Manual was a long period of, of me doing that, of me really grinding it out trying to improve myself, trying to get to that next level and grow. And alongside that came an increasing sense of anxiety and a lack of peace because in a lot of ways I was sacrificing my current state for some theoretical future state where I thought, hey, maybe in the future I'll be able to be happy or peaceful or whatever it is. And I think through a lot of just soul searching and different things that were going, taking place in my own path of, of life, I began realizing that that formula that had been laid out for me, and it's hard for us to, to escape that because it's really deep into our culture, this idea that like your, your dignity and your identity is based upon what you bring to the table in terms of either output or how efficient you are. Right. Like our, like our world is one giant factory. Uh, <laughs> That's true, Steve. And it can rob, it robbed me in the sense of my own humanity. And I realized that what really had to happen was there, there needed to be a different path, a path where the actual process itself was the ends to some degree, if that makes sense. So rather than it being all about working to some end goal that may or may not be there, the end goal was there as an aid, as something that you strive towards, but the process is really where you focus. It's your day-to-day, -day. It's, it's being in the moment, it's being in the present moment. It is uh, really engaging uh, what's going on in your life and your relationships and being human, really, it, being, rather than just being a human doing. Where were you about 20 years ago in my life? Because I could totally relate to what everything you just said, Steve. And today, uh, I even posted to Instagram, today is Friday the 17th of May just kind of to mark the time lag between when people hear this and when we're recording this. And I've, I've been walking early because it's already hot in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And so Mr. Winchester and I take a walk early and there's a field on the way back to the trail where I walk. And normally I'm just so robotically inclined to get the walk in so that I can get my gratitude list done so that I can write for 30 minutes so that I can then get on to the most important task of the day. And I know you can relate to this, mm -hmm. you know, boom, 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 boom. And it was such a beautiful day and the honeysuckles just make the walks just spectacular. And I saw these little yellow flowers in a field beside the house and I stopped to take a picture of it. And that's what I wrote on my Instagram page is like navigating change is hard. It takes hard work to navigate change or to affect change in our lives. But if all I'm doing is the work of navigating change, I'm going to fail because we have to rest. 
and we have to give ourselves permission to not be on all the time, right? Yeah. I think another big piece of that, and, and I experienced this really profoundly, and I, and I still do because sometimes, um, you know, there's times where I'll get caught up in just this cycle of, of being hectic, right? It's, it's like a perpetual thing that I personally have to struggle against. Um, that's why the monk manual, it was made for me to a large extent. Like I need this more than anybody. But what can end up happening, there's this, there's this really interesting phenomenon where if you try to just keep moving faster and faster, there's always going to be more and more to do. Everyone dies with a to-do list, right? So there's always <laughs> going to be more and more things to do. And what happens is when you're moving that fast, there's no way for you to be intentional. And so what you're doing is all these things that don't really matter and you're spread so thin rather than actually going deep into the things that do matter. There's an, uh, there's an American monk who, fairly popular, his name's Thomas Merton. Um, I don't remember when he passed away. I think it was in the 80s. But he, um, he has a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase, but something along the lines of a lot of people spend their life trying to climb up this ladder only at the end to realize it was up against the wrong wall. I think that's really profound. I think it's also somewhat terrifying. But in a sense, like the, the real battle is being aware enough to what's really going on internally and in your life to know what the right changes are that you need to be making at any given time and to really focus on those things and give them your full attention. Uh, and that requires a certain level of, of peace, right? You, people don't make great decisions when they don't have peace. So yeah, it's, it's actually very practical to slow down, although it's counterintuitive. Dude, what you just said, that's why there was a, a time lag here because I'm writing this down. People don't make great decisions when they don't have peace. Is that what led you to the monk manual? Is that you didn't have peace and maybe you weren't making great decisions? Yeah, I think I, think I was in a cycle for a long period of time where it's like a dog who's chasing their tail, right? And not making the progress I probably should have been making because I wasn't approaching the most important things. And when you're moving that fast, which is what I was doing, there's a real disconnect you can feel with yourself and, and with other people. And on some level, you engage so much this kind of factory mentality which unfortunately like, is sometimes what's actually really attractive to the productivity market is this idea of we have this desire in ourselves to be worth it, to be something, to be meaningful. So we think I can be meaningful if I can just prove myself to be meaningful. But actually in the process, we commoditize ourselves even more and we lose our own humanity and what's actually distinctly makes us really meaningful and really truly important to the people around us um, and to our most important work. So. I did do that, and even before I launched the Monk Manual, it was a real turning point in that the work itself was so deeply connected with who I was and what I really felt was part of my own path and my own contribution that it was just so, so life-giving. And not everything that you do is meant to be exciting or novel or, or feel good in the present moment. There's a lot of things, if you want to train for a marathon, there's a lot of days when you're going to not want to go and run that marathon. But still, often, the things that really matter most to us, that really are made for us, 
we know them because when we live into them, they're very life-giving. There's a reason when there's a, a need for change in someone's life, they can kind of follow the life that they see. I think there's something inside us that points us in the right direction. Hmm. Was there a moment when you realized, wait a minute, things have got to change? Did, did someone confront you or did you just scare the living daylights out of yourself? How did that happen that you knew something had to change? Yeah, that's a great question. I've never had anyone ask me that specifically. You know, it's interesting. If you think about someone who struggles with like an addiction, right? There's this idea of hitting like rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes that rock bottom can be a spouse walking out on someone or being fired from a job because they're showing up drunk or whatever it might be. That um, moment of clarity. Yeah, a moment of clarity. I think for me, I don't know if it was... I don't know if I can pinpoint the day like the door swung open, but I can pinpoint many times where I was hearing the knocking. Does that mm. make sense? Sure. And that's why I like asking that question because for a lot of people, it was a moment that led to a series of decisions. And for other people, it is like you. It's little tiny whispers that lead to, wait a minute. And for me, those situations, like you've experienced, you're the lucky ones because now you don't hit the rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really interested in the difference between the people who hit rock bottom and the people who see rock bottom and say, wait a minute, I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And so you heard the knocking and then what happened? Part of it was, um, I don't know if you've ever done Strengths Finder. Yes, years ago. Yeah, my number one is learner, and my path has really been marked by when I start feeling like something's a little bit off base for me, I'm usually going to go and buy a book or do some research, and for a long period of time when that knocking would happen, I would hear it and I'd say, what is this about? And then I'd try to learn more about like what might be going on. And that led me down a number of different paths. I think at first it was through psychology in trying to understand kind of my own operating system and how there's certain biases in my mind and things that might be happening in my unconscious, subconscious that's shaping my, my conscious behavior. And then also looking at some of the different, uh, maybe thought leaders that are coming from a, from a place of, of just depth who tend to be the poets or the mystics or like the, the spiritual leaders, right? And not all of them are coming from a particular tradition, but these are the people who are saying, look, we're gonna zoom way out and look at like, what is this really all, all about? Like, what is the human experience really all about? And that was really helpful. So a lot of my path actually came from me taking those little pain points and translating them to, to learning and having to face a lot of raw, honest moments with myself, which is hard. It's very hard to be honest with yourself. Oh, it is. Yes, sir. And that's why journaling has become so important to me because it forces me to tell myself the truth about myself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. There are several other things it helps me tell the truth about, but that was kind of the first thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, what I love about any sort of a guided journal that's a 12 to 13 week planner. The thing that intrigues me about the monk manual, and I guess maybe just kind of first dive right into how your months are set up. I'm going to point 
people in the show notes to just the quick videos in YouTube. But what intrigues me is that as we start the months section so that we plan out each of our months as they come, you have three words, awareness, clarity, and wisdom. Why are those the three things important as we plan out our month? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go a roundabout way to answer that question. Sure. Absolutely. Um, one of the pillars of, when I was talking about that Venn diagram, like one of the pillars or one of those circles um, behind the monk manual was, you know, I'd often go to bed at night feeling like I just have no idea whether I spent that day well. I felt like I know I was very active. I know I did a lot of things, but did I do the right things? Am I doing things right in general? And there's just that, that sense of unrest. And one of the things that was really attractive to me about the system of life that monks live within is a monk wakes up and they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing that day. They often have an actual routine that they're doing every single day. And they know, hey, from 6 to 7 a.m., I'm eating breakfast. And from 10 to 12, it's uh, meditation or manual labor. And I think that having that level of clarity is deeply freeing. It might feel like you're actually being constrained, but when you when you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing at a given time, mm-hmm. there's a peace that comes from that and it enables you to not be in the future and in the past, but to just be where you are, which is also where you do your, your best work. So trying to translate that experience over to life in a very dynamic environment where every single day you have different things. I'm sure a lot of your listeners, whether they're students or maybe they're retired or maybe they're working professional somewhere still every day there's there's different problems different things you have to deal with and so the way that i understood that you could translate that experience that that a monk has is through intentionality and through forethought and basically although you can't have a system of life that is the same every single day you can create a semblance of that for yourself within the specific units of time, because the way we experience time does change between a day and a week and a month. And as you were talking about earlier, a quarter, for example, the way you look at that as a block of time in your perspective shifts within those different frameworks. So when you think about a month, for example, a month is a really beautiful time to zoom out a little bit and say, okay, where am I at really right now? What's really going on in my life? Because with a month's time, you have enough of a sample set of data to be able to really get a sense of what are the themes that are taking place and to set a course for a substantial period of time. You can accomplish quite a bit in a month. And what I was hoping to do was, was not only within the month set a, a course for future action, but also be a time where it's, it's like going to the doctor for a physical so on the, on the right-hand side of the month page, you have a monthly check-in. And really the purpose there is it's just like going to like a doctor and figuring out like, okay, what is actually going on in my life right now? Because you can spend years of your life not realizing that your physical health is way out of line with where you want it to be or your relationships are. And when you don't take time to actually look at what the reality of your situation is and be honest with it, you can't really do anything about it to enact the change you'd want to. So those three words tie to some of the effects that I'm hoping to bring about in the monthly pages. Yeah, that's, yeah, I like that. So 
let's stay with the right hand side. Although the left hand side, I think, is probably my favorite, and I'll get to that in just a second. But the the right hand side, there's a monthly check in, and it's it's binary. We're supposed to check in with our relationships, physical, spiritual, work and vocation, personal growth, or play. And I bet you get some pushback from people who say, well, I can't just say it's either thumbs up or thumbs down. But see, I think a lot of times if we can't do a binary up, flat, or down, we're fudging, we're lying to ourselves. Sometimes when I use the most words to answer a question about myself, it's me not telling myself the truth. Are my relationships better or worse? Well, you know, this one kind of, but, and so I love the fact that this page is confining and over here about the one change I can make in the next month that will make the biggest impact. That's a little square box. It forces me to be really specific. And I encourage people all the time when I teach journaling techniques, confine yourself If you're using 45 minutes and a thousand words to describe how you're feeling, you're probably missing the boat and not telling yourself the truth. Do you find that to be true or am I off the wall somewhere? No, 100%. And and there's a principle actually in, in design that generally good design comes from having constraints. So if you go and say, hey, I want you to make this poster but only use two colors, what that means is rather than going really wide, the boundaries actually are, are an aid. They're not a hindrance. They can feel like that, but those fences you put around things just enable you to go deeper into it. By confining things somewhat, uh, in a paradoxical way, it actually creates a greater chance of success, and also, in certain circumstances, a greater freedom. It's just in a different direction. Yeah, I love that, and I love the reflection. There are three things that I'm supposed to list that are my biggest accomplishments. And then there's a monthly gratitude log and a greatest insight gain. I really like those. I think my favorite on this page, though, is one question I'd like to answer this month. About in November of last year, in my notebook that has no constraints in it, every month I write down a topic that I want to deeply consider. And to deeply consider a thing means that I am going to do what you do, study it, Google it, find everything I can about that thing. And then I'm going to give it a lot of prayer and a lot of thought. And I'm also probably going to write about it at least twice a week. And that has been helpful to me. And that's that's where, where I'm going to use this space right here is to make sure that I fill in that block and that I'm deeply considering something in my life. Mm-hmm. I read something after the fact about Leonardo da Vinci and his own process. There was an argument that a large part of his genius was he would constantly be writing down questions. Sometimes he'd actually just create an entire inventory of what are all the questions he has, things that he doesn't understand, things that he wants to understand, and then he'd actually go through the list and start trying to figure it out. And you look at how prolific and what that actually leads to, but often I feel like our questions can actually be the greatest teachers because the things that we, the things that come up when you're asked like, what, what's one question you'd like to answer, that's probably something that has a certain level of depth for you. And if you really enter into that, there's a lesson for you in that. 
Yes, it's been very powerful. You know, the first thing I deeply considered? What's that? What deeply consider means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and it was a challenge that my business coach gave me to deeply consider the problem I solve. Mm-hmm. And it took me about three months to do it. And so the first thing I did was Google deeply consider. And I've got a, a sheet. It's a rubric that I use to do a deeply consider. And now it becomes a process for me. Mm-hmm. But it has answered a ton of questions for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I use it in my recovery program. I use it in business. I use it all the time in personal development. It's pretty powerful. So one more thing that I find incredibly useful, and this is where other guided journals completely miss the mark in my book. I love the ability to map out, create three separate roadmaps for three different things that I want to accomplish in a three-month period. That helps a ton. But where other guided journals miss the mark in my book is they don't give us a monthly plan. And over here, you have a place to put five things that must be done by the end of the month. I think that's powerful because, man, I want to do 15 things. And then I realized, wait a minute, here's this confinement again. I've got room to do five things. And to tell the truth, Steve, I guarantee you I'll be putting a sixth thing right there. You know, I've got to break the rules a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still the confinement helps me understand, look, if June gets out of the way and I don't have all five of these things done, that's going to be rough. If I can at least have them started, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just having that anchor is really powerful. And also, it's a really good thing to be able to say, I set out to do something and I did it. And to make it a manageable thing. To make it something where it's not, well, did I do what I set out to do or not? But to have accountability on some level and be gentle with yourself about the accountability, right? There's many months where I don't do all five things that are listed on there. But still, the principle remains that having that there acts as kind of a North star towards all the weekly planning and all the daily work that gets done. It's just so much more intentional than what I was doing previously. Oh, I agree. This keeps me from overwhelming myself. Mm -hmm. And I had to go through that process yesterday where I've got like 35 things that I said I was going to do this week. And because I, I have not been reflecting, I haven't had time in the last two weeks. I've had a lot of things going on. And this weekend, I'm going to reflect and I'm going to cross some things off and I'm going to push some things to June and July. But I'm going to reduce that number of 35 things to three to five things I'm going to get done next week. Mm -hmm. And that will help me to start catching my breath again. Mm -hmm. And I love planning my weeks. It helps me get to the point where I can automate my day. The night before, I automate my next day. And on usually Friday or Saturday afternoons, I do as much as I can to automate my week. So I'm pretty excited about this section. So this section begins with purpose, intentionality, and freedom. Walk me through that. Similar to the month section, these are words that are the desired endpoints for going through the process of the weekly pages. What you find is those nouns, ultimately, they really play out through the entire system. But specific to these weeks, when you go through and you set aside three priorities for the week and then also emphasize 
and take time to focus on personal growth and relationship growth, it helps to lead to a deeper intentionality and purpose and freedom in each of your day-to-day activities. And something that's very popular nowadays is bullet journaling, where people will go and create their own system. There you go. So you have a, a bullet journal there. What I was hoping to do through this is I believe that frameworks can be helpful, especially if they can have enough structure while also leaving enough room for self-prescription that they really can be used by anyone regardless of their circumstances. So it's just like technology, right? It's What I was hoping to do is put together, I mean, that sounds dramatic, but like a form of technology essentially where someone could go through this process and it's a man-made thing, but ultimately it's like using a, a chainsaw versus an ax and you can still get it done, but it takes a lot of work. And I know it looks like you're actually very active with the bullet journaling, but I know a lot of people who... You know, they do the bullet journaling and it's like, this is just a lot of work to keep up with it because there's a lot of, what it offers you is immense flexibility, but also less of a framework. So it requires more discipline. And I I use a combination of both. Mm -hmm. I take notes and map out ideas, but I, I always come back to a guided planning opportunity. And what I really, really, really love about this on the week is that I pick out my top three priorities and then I circle which day I'm going to get that stuff done. Yeah. It's okay if it's going to get done on Friday, but I'd really rather get my top three things done by Wednesday so that I can come up for air and have the freedom to have conversations and be in relationship with other people on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, and Friday. Because if I start my relationships with other people on Monday, I don't get nothing done for the week because I'm emotionally caught up in what everybody else is looking for. My brain just won't settle back down. So I kind of go into monk mode Mondays and Tuesdays, and then I start coming back into humanity on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. And so this really helps me a ton understand I got to get this stuff done on this day, and it impacts my schedule. So the other thing that I think is genius, Steve, at the bottom of the page, three things I'm looking forward to. Tell me about how you came up with that idea. There's a lot of uh, research that comes out of psychology that is integrated within the Monk Manual. One of those is, uh, there's a guy by the name of Dr. Martin Seligman, who was the head of the American Psychological Association for a period of time. And he developed a formula called PERMA that was essentially meant to be a, a formula, a scientifically proven formula for happiness and just general well-being. There's a book called Flourish or Flourishing, and I recommend that to your listeners because it helps to unpack a lot of his research and his work. But within that, in the PERMA model, there are five different pillars to it. There's positive emotion, engagement, uh, relationships, meaning, and accomplishments. Now, what I saw when I was looking at the PERMA model was that the actual system Um, that a monk lives in is engineered for those five things. And so the positive emotion piece, in a sense, when you're saying I'm looking forward to something that is generating some positive emotion, it's also getting you looking forward to the the future and looking out. And in a sense, it's really an exercise of hope, right? It's taking someone out of a place of, your listeners probably aren't in this place, although they might be, but it's not uncommon for people to be in a, you know, I'm in a really bad spot. I'm not sure if stuff's going to get better. And just sometimes looking at that star, even if you're surrounded by darkness, 
can be the difference that helps you to make the action and change that's needed into the future. So on the next page is reflection, which is super important. I do this every week in my business and I ask different versions of these questions. I'm intrigued by habit insights. So I've got a pretty big habit insight this week. I've had meetings every night this week, which has precluded me from meeting the habit commitments that I made to my mom and my family physician, which is go to bed at the same time every night, be up by sunrise, get eight hours sleep. When I have commitments every night during the week, ain't none of that happening. Mm -hmm. And what's more is if I'm not doing all of those things, I'm also not getting the physical exercises that are required of me for my physical health. And that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about habits is habits are, uh, they take a certain period of time to, to enact and to actually get them to stick. And oftentimes I think we start with an idea of, Hey, you know, it's like the whole new year's phenomenon, right? You go and you January 1st comes around. People say, I'm going to go get a gym membership. I'm going to go and do this. But the reality is saying, I'm going to go and commit to something for a month is really hard because you don't know what you don't know until you really get into it. And motivation can wane, but also just life can, can creep up and you can realize, Hey, what I thought I was going to be able to do is not actually like something's getting in the way. And so actually looking at it and being able to intentionally adjust and say, Hey, you know, like this habit's still really important to me, but like you're saying, I'm realizing that, you know, these commitments are getting in the way of the thing that I really want to focus on. You only can do that if you're reflecting, if not, the habit just goes away. And then you bring it up another time later in the future and say, hey, I'm going to go and do this and now it's going to be different. It usually isn't, right? So, <laughs> right. Well, and the other side of that is, is I, I keep trying to tell myself, well, these people need me. I need to be in these places. I need to be fulfilling these particular responsibilities in my life. And then I realize, well, if I'm not doing all of these things to protect my health, then I'm going to be sick. I'm going to have an asthma episode, I'm going to get pneumonia, and I'm going to be of no use to these people for three or four months at a time. Mm -hmm. So how about if I take six weeks off, build my stamina, and then we'll make another run at that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Two more questions. I'll let you answer either one or both. I love these. Reflecting on what God is teaching me and reflecting on one way I can improve next week. Wow, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, so to take those in order, the what is God teaching me piece was probably one of the most difficult elements for me to figure out how to incorporate and how to word within the monk manual, partly because the word God represents something to pretty much everyone and pretty much for everyone it represents something a little bit different. We all have an image in our mind of, of who God is or what God is and I did not want to preclude people from using the monk manual based upon the language that was included. At the same time, I also think it's one of the most important elements of the monk manual because what it's doing is it's taking, it helps take a person to the broadest perspective of their life and to look at what's really going on and what am I being taught. And even that, it says something about the relationship because whatever the image of God is that someone has, 
it's extremely beneficial for them to see God as they would understand God, as their higher power, as a teacher, in his life as a teacher. And to think about like, what am I actually being taught right now? Because I'm, I'm a firm believer that life itself is a classroom and everything we interact with, this call right now, I'm learning things. Everything we go through, there's nothing outside that education. And I think it's just an extremely important question. And probably uh, when I go back years in the future to look back at what I was writing in the monk manual, this is probably gonna be the most important thing for me to look at. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. Anything else you wanna add on the week before we move on to the day by day? Yeah, I, I just quickly on the, on the one way can I, I improve next week. You know, I intentionally set that as one thing because I think it's very easy to say, well, you know, I didn't do this as well as I wanted or this or that. And it's so easy to overwhelm yourself. It's so easy to think I'm going to go and do all these things, but it's far more effective to just say, I'm going to do one thing and I'm just going to focus on that and just do that well. That's very intentional to have it just be one thing. Yeah, and I like the way you word the question. I'm, I'm holding up my weekly form that I do as part of my business. You can see how little space uh, our listeners can't see it, obviously. But I give myself a little bit of space to answer the question, how will I get better next week? And this one is specific to um, growing my business. Mm-hmm. And I don't leave myself very much space. It's probably an inch and a half. And again, that confinement requires me to just say, okay, here are the specific things that I'm going to do differently in the iterations that I do every week to grow my business. Powerful question. And I've only been doing that about eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's so important. And it helps me close the book on the week and pivot into planning next week. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we go to the day. And I think we do the weeks to get to the days so that I'm not waking up early going, okay, after my walk, what the heck do I do? So we begin the days with focus, presence, and love. Yeah. So what's interesting is if you compare those three words, well, focus you're going to see in other planners, but those other two are not really commonly found in in like a, a productivity world, right? To me, it all comes down to to presence on some level, because the only place we really have to operate, reality is only like in the present, right? If we're missing the present moment, we're we're kind of missing everything. If we really want to engage life and and kind of suck the marrow of life, like that only comes from really engaging the present moment. And then the love piece is really important to me because it's interesting, oftentimes, and this is not inherently bad, but a lot of productivity tools We turn to them because we think we want to go and either improve ourselves or make our life better or achieve a certain goal. None of those things are bad. Those are all good things. But it's a paradoxical thing that when we focus too much on ourselves rather than on what we're actually giving, it doesn't actually lead us to be happy. And so I wanted to make sure that our daily activity was really grounded in this reality of like expressing our own goodness and actually kind of approaching things is in what is the gift you can give to others. It's not, it's not about turning inwards on yourself, but rather turning outwards onto others. And that doesn't have to be overly romanticized. I think it's even as simple as approaching a business and saying, you know, you can approach a business and say, oh, how do I make as much money as I possibly can? Or you can say, you know, yes, I want to make 
money, that's very important. I want to support my family or whatever that is. But also, I really care about like my audience and my customer. And like what I'm doing right now is positively going to impact someone. And that's really important to me. And there's a difference in the present moment, depending on how you're looking at the work itself. The work's gonna get done regardless, but how you feel while you're doing it and what it does to you, what the work does to you and how it teaches you changes based upon how you're approaching it. It looks like most of the right-hand side of the spread is devoted to the, the latter two themes. The first page is focus, like on the left-hand side of the page, here are three things that I need to get done today. And of course, the first one has a really good chance of being that weekly priority, right? And then do you draw a line to the schedule? Here's my number one priority is to do X, Y, Z thing and maybe connect it to the timeline. I'm going to get that done from 9 to 10.15. Yeah. Is that how you use that? Absolutely. My best days are the days where I'll actually plot all this out the night before. And I'll say, okay, you know, this first priority, how long is that going to take me? Mm, two hours. And I plot that. And I, and I work and try and gain momentum, right? So I'll say, okay, I'm going to start that at 8 o'clock. I'll work from 8 to 10, um, which is also kind of focusing me and making sure I don't go off reading some Wikipedia article about some obscure thing. So plotting that out, and again, almost being able to live into that structure like a monk would, right? Where you know from eight to 10, this is what you're doing. By far, when I do that, it's just such a successful day because of that, and it just feels so right. And then I'll often, underneath that, there's the whole to-do section. As I mentioned earlier, some of this is intentionally meant to be um, utilized the way people want to utilize it, right? So I, I've talked to customers who are using it in a completely different way than I would have anticipated, but good for them because it's working for them and it fits yeah. their life. Um, for me, my to-do actually is often a lot of my routine things that are important for me to do every day. So you were talking about journaling. I try to journal every day. That's one of my to-dos. And, and when I do that, I, I cross it off. And having that there means that I'm always going to do it. But I'll also sometimes actually create a block of time for those to-dos um, and yeah. say, okay, this is kind of like my fast action block because at least for myself, I know there's periods, there's certain types of work, often my priorities, where I need some time to just go deep, right? I need two hours mm -hmm. to really shut everything down and just go deep into it. Whereas a lot of the to-dos are kind of like, all right, I'm going to pop this out and pop that out. Yeah. Well, I've tried and tried and tried. You'd think I'd get the message. I can't do six focus blocks in a day mm -hmm. because I don't have the emotional energy to do that. It's, it's mentally exhausting. Mm -hmm. So I found my best days are when I focus in the mornings and then I'll have a block of time to do this kind of shallows stuff as um, what's his name? Cal Newport would call it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love this. And then on the right hand side, you're forcing me to answer some pretty serious questions about how I loved other people and also how to confront my own anxiety today. I felt unrest when. Dude, that's powerful. Yeah, there's the, uh, the element above that of I was at my best one. Mm -hmm. The purpose there is not only to, to celebrate that good that was done that day and to recognize that in yourself. I, I think that it's the sort of thing where most people I think carry certain levels of pain or self-hatred or whatever it is. Mm 
and they can feel like I thought it was just me to some degree. And it's really important for us to be able to recognize the goodness that's, that's really there and to recognize our own strengths. And that's one piece of that. But another piece of that is asking that question educates us because when I answer that question repeatedly and I have to say, when was I really at my best? I start recognizing, well, you know what? When I had that one call with that person and I was doing that sort of work, I really felt at home with myself. And the thing is, is that's extremely informative because those areas where we're really thriving over time, we can adjust and say, I need to spend more and more time in those unique areas that for me are how I was designed to really thrive. And I felt unrest is similar, but kind of on the, on the flip side of that, you can't answer that question without first reviewing your entire day and saying, okay, what actually happened today? Um, which is beautiful on one level because it enables you to relive your day, in a sense, live it twice. But on a deeper level, those times when we're feeling unrest are just so informative for us to know, hey, you know, when I was doing this, like, I just did not really feel good about that. Because the next question is like, what is that really about? And that's a hard thing to answer. But when you go there, you start realizing things that this is not exaggeration. I think people can go through their entire life not actually looking at those things. Yeah, I agree. This reminds me of, of step 10 of the 12 steps, where we're forced to make a fearless and moral inventory of, of ourselves every single day. And I love how you've kept it balanced. You know, the good things, so the good to the bad and the ugly. And I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Before we wrap up this interview, I'm hoping that you'll have about seven minutes to do a separate interview for the change journals, but I know you've got a time constraint here. Generously, Steve, offered listeners a discount code. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So if, if you go to monkmanual.com, you can get a 10% discount off of your order by using the code reboot. And that applies to whether you're getting one or four or 25. So that code is active now and is available for all of your listeners. And also, if you go on the site, there's an opportunity as well to download a PDF of um, some of the templates for the different pages if you want to try some of the pages out. I think more than anything, what's probably the most important thing for me is that your listeners take a look at, at the website and, and just think about some of the things that were discussed here and just figure out how to apply it to their own life, whether they're using the monk manual or not. How can they find ways to incorporate more, more peace and, and not just become human doings, but also how do they become more and to really thrive as human beings? And I think that a lot of what we discussed today is based in very, very sound research and also mm. is is perennially what the spiritual masters have taught for thousands of years in the East and the West. Yeah, I would encourage your listeners to go to monkmanual.com. And again, they can get 10% off by using the code reboot. It's a beautiful journal and I can't believe that I've let it sit this long without trying it. And um, I'm about to get it set up. And as I finish this guided journal that I've been working on, I'm going to town on it and I can't wait to report to you and listeners about how it's changing me. I, I may even do like 
a weekly audio log or something like that about how it's going, if that sounds like that might be useful to you and maybe your folks. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Steve, thank you so much for being a guest on the Reboots podcast. And thank you even more for the monk manual. And thank you even more than that for being an amazing dude. Thank you, Tracy. It's been a real pleasure. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Steve. Now, I originally purchased the Monk Manual on Kickstarter months ago. After this conversation, though, I picked up the book and have used it through an incredibly busy spring and summer. It's helped me navigate illness and travel and a whole lot of business. I've still been able to prioritize sleep, and exercise simply because I've used the monk manual to plan the next three months, then my weeks, and then to sketch out each day and to remember that none of that stuff gets done unless I make time to walk and sleep. So seriously, this is an unpaid endorsement. There are no affiliate agreements in place between Steve and me, and that's not what I'm personally after here. I just know how much using a 12-week year system has helped me, and after talking to Steve, I'm sold on how the Monk Manual embraces more than just productivity. It also embraces the idea for us to connect with our inner selves and to our Creator. So, If you're struggling to connect daily and weekly habits to your big goals and dreams, check out the product at themonkmanual.com. If you're not ready to buy, I've developed a free, quick and easy guide for learning to set up a 12-week year on your own to just give it a try. Rebootspodcast.com forward slash 12 weeks to change. You can either do that one, two weeks to change 12 weeks to change or 12 weeks to change. You get the idea. Hey, check it out. Rebootspodcast.com forward slash 12 weeks to change. I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom. 